Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Well, good morning again, church. It really is a a gift to be with you. Um, So thankful for your church, the ministry it does in this community, the encouragement it is to the broader denomination in the PCA as well. And thankful for this chance to, to be with you and spend a few days thinking together about what it means to be made in the image of God. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be you? What what are you? What am I, we're going to consider how the Bible's teaching on being made in the image of God changes the way that we think about ourselves, changes the way we think about each other, and even changes the way we interact with our world. Today, we'll think about how the image of God shapes the way we think about ourselves. Then tonight, the way it changes the way we think about each other. And then Monday, Tuesday, we'll think about how this teaching really equips us to move out into the world, to to live and love like Jesus did when confronting some of the particularly challenging, difficult, thorny issues that we're all faced with in our culture. And this topic, what it means to be human, is one we really need to think about because here's one of the quirks, one of the strange things about the culture that we live in. We have made all kinds of progress in all kinds of ways. So in many ways, this is the best time to be alive. More people have access to clean water and food and healthcare and education than at any other point in history. And science and technology have enabled us to explore the deepest oceans and explore the farthest galaxies and make all kinds of miraculous discoveries. And yet, as we've seemed to learn more and more about the world and even the universe that we live in, we also seem to be more and more confused about ourselves. Questions around gender. Questions around race. Debates around when life begins and when life ends. All of these discussions, of course, taking place with a lot of division and a lot of polarization and anger and vitriol. And so we wonder, what does it mean to be human? What do you think it means to be you? Some people, of course, would answer scientifically and they'd say, well, I'm a collection of atoms that has evolved from a previous collection of atoms. Others might answer more sociologically. They'd say, I am whatever I feel myself to be. Some people are perhaps a little more philosophically. They're not sure what they are, but they find meaning and joy in, 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 in family or friends or travel or work. But as a group of Christians, as a church, and if you're new to this church, you should know that what Christians do is, is go to the Bible and take our cues from there. Seek to answer theologically or biblically this question, what does it mean to be human? We go to the creator and we see what he has to say. And that's what we're going to do together this morning. I invite you to turn with me. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 to see that our understanding of humanity, our understanding of ourselves, begins by understanding that we are made in the image of God. So friends, please, as you're able, stand in reverence for the word of God. Genesis 1, starting in verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, 
livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps in the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true and it's given to us because he loves us. Father, would you be pleased to draw near to us in your love just now and that your son, Jesus Christ, would blanket this place with his presence, that we by the spirit might meet with you, order our lives around your great love toward us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. So we can't understand what it means to be human. You can't understand what it means to be you without understanding that we are made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. Now, on one hand, this truth sounds kind of deep and profound and, and mysterious. But on the other hand, it's also a truth that we intuitively get. We intuitively understand, I think, that we've been made in the image of God. One pastor illustrates it this way. He says, think of your own family. So here's a picture of, of my family. There's the parents in the middle, me and, and, and Rosie. As Ray said, she is a firefighter, which makes her officially the coolest, coolest pastor's wife in all of Presbyterianism. <laughs> Then on the left is my oldest daughter, Mia, the one we had at 18, 19. She just graduated from college this year. She's starting work as a NICU nurse at a children's hospital in Knoxville. Then my two boys next to her, and then the other one on the end, both students at UT go Vols, and then my youngest, they're in the red shirt. This is clan for sight. But in our household, there's another living creature, the Genesis would say creeps along the face of the earth. Here's the dog, Gunner. Um, here's my question. Severe financial hardship hits the Forsyth household. Question, who's the first to go? <laughs> who's the first to go? Who are we going to kick out first? Now, obviously the, the economic answer wouldn't lead us to Gunner. I don't have to pay college tuition for him. And honestly, the convenience answer wouldn't lead us to him either. I don't lie awake at night worrying about Gunner. Or even his general cuteness level. I mean, my girls are cute, my boys not so much. And so, you know, honestly, he's probably the cutest of, the, of them all. And yet we know, don't we all intuitively know, that if for severe financial hardship hits my house, Gunner is the first to go. <laughs> Why? Because 
we're different to him. (laughs) My kids are different to him. Humanity is different to the animal kingdom because we have been created in the image of God. Humanity has been created distinct from and above the rest of the created order. And the Bible made this very clear to us on the very first page. Imagine you're God and you're going to write the Bible and you think, what do I want to include on page one? What's the first thing I want to say to to these people? And here we have as part of that account, verse 26. We're in Genesis 1. The Trinity has huddled up together in this great creation account and they have been making things together and no doubt having a grand time in the process. Stars and planets and rocks and moors and, and locks and then the animals, all the elephants and the giraffes and the ants. But then they get together and they say, hey, let's do something different. Let's make something, you see it there, in our image after our likeness. Let's make something different to all the things we've already made because now let's make something that's like us. And so verse 27 becomes the key verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the first poetry that's recorded in in all, all the Bible. The first poetry that's been recorded for us in human history. I very much doubt it was the first poetry ever because no doubt our creative God has been composing all kinds of verse from eternity past. But here's the first poetry in human history and it's written to celebrate what? Written to celebrate that humanity has been made in the image of God. We've been made in the image of God, distinct from and above the rest of the creative order. Now, when I hear that, I think... That sounds important. That sounds significant. That sounds meaningful, but like, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean that we are made in the image of God? How do we, how do we describe that to, to our, ourselves? Well, here's two things to help us from the text. To be made in the image of God means we resemble him, and secondly, that we represent him. First, let's consider how we resemble him. To be made in the image of God means that you resemble God. You are like him in some ways. There is a family resemblance between you and he. You take after him. And so the Old Testament, where this Genesis account appears, was originally written in the language of Hebrew. And the Hebrew word for image originally meant uh, something that was cut out of a larger object. The word image meant something that was cut from a larger object. To be made in the image of God literally means that we are a chip off his block. That's the language, that's the image that the text portrays. Now, of course, this isn't a physical thing. God is a spirit. He doesn't have a a body like us. And of course, there are ways in which we're not like God. Before we, lest we leave here with, you know, incredible egos, of course, there are ways in which we're not like God. God is omniscient. That means he knows everything, and we don't know everything. God is omnipresent. He is 
present everywhere. We are only able to be in one place at once. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Of course, none of us are all-powerful. Theologians refer to these things, these, these ways in which we are not like God, as, as God's incommunicable attributes, because you can always trust a theologian to make something simple sound more complicated simply means that those attributes of God aren't communicated to us. We're not like him in those ways, and yet there are other ways in which we are like him. How we ask? Consider the intellectual capacity that we have for wisdom and reflection. Gunnar, your pets don't lie in bed at night pondering the meaning of life. To do so is human, and it echoes the divine. Or consider our righteous capacity for morality and ethics. We have another, another pet, uh, a cat called Haggis, which seems appropriate to us. Um, yeah, yeah, I've threatened, you know, if you don't want to eat Haggis, you certainly don't want to eat this, this Haggis. And, um, you, know, you know, she has no, she has no qualms about about killing a mouse. She doesn't wrestle with angst over whether this is a righteous or a holy thing to do. I'll never forget getting a call from my, my youngest daughter. She was eight at the time from the basement and it said, Dad, Haggis has a mouse. And I went down to the stairs and of course the cat, you know, the cat was playing with, with the mouse and we shooed the cat off and the mouse, my daughter thought the mouse was just the cutest thing she'd ever seen, looking at, up at her with these big eyes. But it was very clear to me that this mouse did not have long to live. I'll spare you the gory details, but you could see things, okay? So I say, like any good father protecting the daughter, oh, I will go release this mouse in the yard, okay? And so I get a bit of cardboard and I kind of scoop the mouse onto this bit of cardboard and I walk outside and I walk out onto my deck and I was just going to throw the mouse kind of into the woods, but I kind of felt sorry for it because it really didn't have long to live and it kind of looked in pain. And so what was intended as an act of mercy, I, I folded the cardboard in half and I put it on the floor and I just went. <laughs> and the second I did that, I turned and at the window, my youngest daughter looking at me, thinking, what kind of, what kind of you know, homicidal maniac is my father? <laughs> she has angst over killing a mouse. The cat doesn't have angst over killing a mouse. What she's showing in those beautiful childlike ways is the beginning of a righteous imagination. <laughs> A capacity for morality and ethics that, that the animals don't have. How else are we like God? Well, consider our holy capacities for, for mercy or for grace. None of my pets weep over the Ukraine. None of them are heartbroken by racism. None of them lament the evils we see in our culture and in our day. None of them plead with God to come in and intervene. You see in these intellectual capacities, these righteous capacities, these holy capacities, you and I, every human soul, is, has been made to be like God. And those things make us above and distinct from the rest of the created order. We are like him in ways the rest of creation is not. Made in his image you resemble God. 
Second thing, though, we see from the Bible is not only do you resemble him, but you represent him. In fact, you have been made to resemble him in order that you might represent him. He has made us to be like him that we might represent him here on earth. So this term image that we spoke about a moment ago, referring to a chip from a, from a larger block, is also used throughout the Old Testament to describe the statues that kings would uh, st- put up of themselves after they had conquered a foreign land. So imagine a world where you would never physically see the ruler of the day. A world before media, a world before social media, a, a world before, before photographs. You would never yourself see the, the, the king himself. And so what leaders would do is after they had conquered a region, they would put up statues of themselves to, to remind everybody of, of who was in charge. To remind them of, of, of their own rule and, and reign. Of course, we'd still do pretty similar things today. Remember when the statue of Saddam Hussein came down in Baghdad? Or perhaps a little less ominously, most countries put pictures of their leaders on their banknotes. The king or the queen or the the president, reminding people of, of who the rulers are. Well, here in verse 27, this idea of an image that is being used to represent the ruler is applied not to statues, not to banknotes, but to humanity. Do you see it there? Verse 27, God has set up not lifeless statues. He's not pasted his face on banknotes. Instead, he has created living souls, people who resemble him that we might represent him. You are a living statue of the living God. Which is why verse 28 then says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion. Fill the earth with the image of God. Let his glory be, be known from shore to shore. And then have dominion. Extend my rule wherever you go. Take my presence with you wherever you go. This is the Old Testament version of what will become that great New Testament prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was always the plan. Back in Genesis, of course, the plan was for humanity to go and, 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 and multiply so that God's presence, God's image might be known across the entire world. We have the opportunity to, to take God's presence with us wherever we go simply by virtue of being human. And isn't that an amazing way to think about your life? In your home, in your classroom, in your office, wherever you go, you can take the presence of God with you. You can leave places more alive. You can leave people more alive with the presence of God because, of, because you were there, because of how you have interacted with them. We can do that. We should do that. For now, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? At least these two things. You resemble him. You're like him in some ways. The rest of creation is not. And secondly, you represent him. You take his presence with you wherever you go. Well, what do we do with this teaching, this, this, this uh, truth that we are being made in the image of God? What difference does it make? Of course, the answer is it makes all the difference in the world. And that's actually what we're going to spend the rest of, of this summer conference exploring, how it changes the way we think about other people, how it changes the way we interact with, with our world. But today, we have to start first by applying this truth 
to ourselves. Before we worry about other people and, and our world, we start by applying this truth to ourselves. Now, that, that's a good principle, isn't it, for, for how you read the Bible. You apply it to yourself before you start going and, and applying it to other people. Sometimes that's a challenge for us because the Bible's teaching on sin. It's easier to be angry with other people for being sinners than it is sometimes to confess our, our own sin. But you know, sometimes our failure to do that, sometimes our failure to apply the Bible to ourselves first is because the Bible says some things that seem too good to be true. And surely this is one of those. Do you recognize with me this morning the value, the dignity, the worth that you possess as an image bearer of God, that you are precious to him, that you matter to him, that he made you and that he made no mistake when he made you, that he, he declared, in fact, that you are very good, that he is, that the creator is pleased with the things that he has created and you, don't worry about the world, don't worry about your neighbor, we'll get there. You are made in his image. You possess this unspeakable value, dignity, and worth. So, try something with me. Play along. Pull out your phone. Don't get distracted by Facebook or any other thing. Just pull out, pull, pull out your phone. And uh, find, find your camera. And open it up. And press the button so it's ready to take a selfie. You ready? Take one. I'm going to take one here too. Did you get the selfie? All right. Now pull up the picture and look at it. What are you thinking? I'm thinking you wish you'd done your hair differently. Are you thinking those wrinkles have got kind of big? Are you like me thinking, as I do every day of my life, I should have worn more sunscreen? Right? <laughs> I am not genetically designed for this climate. Right? What, what is it? What is it that you think? Friends, can you just pause with me? Can we just for one moment together get past the insecurities to see that when you look at that image, you're looking at the image of God. That when you look in the mirror, you see the image of God. You see something that, that God is, is pleased with because God himself even made it. Yes, you resemble him and you represent him. You are made in his image. You have unspeakable value, dignity, and worth. And in our world, which is so obsessed with the, the quest to be special, to earn the most money, to have the most followers, to go to the best schools. The Bible says you are more than special, you are sacred. You're made in the image of God. And no, you might say, well, you know, what about sin? What about sin? The, the, the Bible is, is clear that, that, that we're not the people we're, we're meant to be, so, so surely my sin has, has messed me up. Well, in response, the Bible says two things. First, it says that, that, that sin does not erase the image of God in you. Can I say that again? Your sin does not erase the image of God in you. So you may have done things years ago, 
this week that make you feel like a dog, but you are still not a dog. You're still made in his image, but the Bible goes a step farther, does it not? To say not only that, not only are you still in the image of God, but such is your value to him, such is your dignity to him, such is your worth to him that he sent the image of the invisible God to save you. That he sent Jesus to save us. Knowing our sin, knowing our mess, knowing our brokenness and and how we've all messed up. Because of all of that, he sends his son to come and make sure that we would be brought home. So that the God who made his children in his image could spend eternity with them. We're made in his image. And it's important, friends, I want to suggest to you that it's important to have this sense of self this self-understanding, this self-identity, for you to say, I am made in the image of God and therefore I have value, dignity, and worth. And one of the reasons it's so important to say that is because, you know, really Jesus commands us to say that. Remember when Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as who? As yourself. So not love your neighbor as you know, as you would love the most perfect person you'd ever, ever met. Isn't it even intriguing that he doesn't say, love your neighbor as you love your God? No, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says, there is a way in which you should love yourself. To which most of us feel like, well, like was Jesus watching too much Oprah that week? You know, feels a little fluffy, feels a little fuzzy, feels a little like, I don't know, it just doesn't quite feel, wasn't, doesn't quite feel right. But, but he obviously means something. So what does he mean? How, how do we do that? How do we love ourselves? Well, we love ourselves when we realize that we've been made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. I'm at this terrifying phase in life where all my kids are driving. And... It's terrifying. First of all, you should see my insurance bill. It's like a mortgage payment. But here's, here's what I say. Right before they leave the house, I always say to whichever kid is about to leave, hey, you're driving precious cargo. Because they're driving themselves. They're driving themselves. And what they're driving is precious to me. You see God says that to us? God says that to you. Hey, your life your precious cargo to him. You matter to him and, and you should recognize that about yourself. As I want my children to know that about themselves, so the perfect father wants us to know that about ourselves. For us to understand, friends, that you may never have been happy with your body and you may never have been happy with your personality and you may never have been happy with some of your abilities. But when you hear about the glory of humanity, the unspeakable value, dignity, and worth that we possess, you are not overhearing a message that was meant for someone else. You're hearing a message that God has given you in his text. So yes, we want to see the image of God in each other, but we've got to start by seeing it in the mirror. Can you do that today? Kids, you may be small, but you matter to God. Teens, you may sometimes feel self-conscious, but you're beautiful to God. Parents, you may have no idea how to raise these kids, but you and they matter to God. Workers, you might not be sure if you have what it takes in the office, 
but, but you matter to God. Seniors, you may fear your best years are behind you, but God says not so fast. You still matter to God. All of us come and ground our identity, ground our self-understanding in the fact that we resemble him to represent him, that we all have unspeakable value, dignity, and worth. Reflecting on this truth, C.S. Lewis called it a weight of glory, that we're made in the image of God. It's a weight of glory that our thoughts can barely sustain. But he then adds, so it is. So it is. Over the next few days, we'll start to unpack more of the implications for how we treat each other, for how we engage with some of the challenging issues in, in our world. But we don't jump to those things without first applying this teaching to ourselves. Our world is gonna call you to put your identity in a thousand different things. So we ground ours in the fact that we are made and remade by Jesus in the image of God. So this week, look at your selfie. And do not delete it. Do not delete it. And remember, you've been made in the image of God. Amen. Amen. Father, we're grateful for this time together when we can come humbly before your word and receive the, the, the truth that you have um, desired for us to know. And Lord, we pray that this understanding of ourselves a people who have been made by, by a father who loves us, a dad who gets a kick out of us, uh, a Lord who, is, who looks at his creation and says it is very good, um, would sink a little deeper into our, into our bones and that we would begin to look in the mirror and see the image of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.